welcome to the Glass Tire Art Dirt Podcast. I'm Rainy Knudsen. I'm Christina Reese. We are here to discuss topical events in the art world. What a week it has been in this our nation. Golly. <sighs> Golly, gosh, Jehoshaphat. And in fact, one of the most notable aspects of our president, that is his inclination for tweeting, outrageous things mm-hmm. and yanking everyone's attention all over the place mm-hmm. uh, sort of informed our first thing we want to talk about today it did, didn't it? it did so a news item a potential news item came through mm-hmm. through our what our email basically <laughs> through just, the mysterious lines of communication it's our email. that feed the glass tar monolith and uh, and we had to discuss whether or not we we're going to run it as a news item because it would have probably gone semi-viral or certainly would have gone national, I think. And full disclosure, at first I was like, hey, everybody, oh my gosh, this is going to get tons of clicks, which it would. Post it as news. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. Um, so there is a student, uh, a master's degree student at U of H. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Yeah, we're not we're not going to name this person because this you person. The, as as the story will unfold, you will understand why. There's a so this artist uh, made a piece of artwork that the U of H uh, newspaper reported on. It's very very sensational, and um, by that I mean a new, crass attempt to get attention. New, yeah, newsy sensational. It's not a great piece of work, and that's and I didn't want to give it attention. I just don't think it's. I don't think that the artwork itself was good enough. To warrant giving this guy extra attention. So here's what the piece is. Mm. It's a Confederate battle flag. Not to be confused with the flag of the Confederate States of America. Sorry. I'm getting caught up in the battle flag versus the Confederate flag. <laughs> right? So what he's done, and this is what he tends to do, is he, he, is he puts the word art, a, he, a large word art. On all caps. The, uh, all caps on the things that he does. It's, it's, I mean, I, I think it's blatantly a shtick. Although it it starts to blur the lines, it starts to make it difficult to talk about or to call his call out his intention. Because we are we have been trained to respect the autonomy of the artist and the intention of the artist, and if the artist says it's art, then so it is. So it is. But we aren't afraid to criticize a crappy piece of art that's a blatant trolling for attention. And that's when not we see worth it. the discussion. I mean, that's that's ultimately what this has come down to: is this piece is not good enough to warrant the discussion. There are very controversial artworks out there that are very much worth that discussing. are wonderful and that push buttons and that are that do it in a really intelligent way. This is not an intelligent piece of art. It's a giant Confederate battle flag that says "art" in the middle of it. In an interview on the Daily Cougar, aforementioned UH student newspaper, the artist says that they are elevating the flag in a way to the status of art, but also reducing it to just art. Hmm. Uh, Reducing one of the most powerful symbols in our country to just art? This is not thoughtful enough to be using a symbol that's that powerful and has so many associations with it. I just feel like there's something incredibly shallow about his approach. Kids, if you want to uh, incite a conversation, then you're going to have to do better than this. Yes. Okay? So, we're not naming the artist because we don't want to give any more attention to this dumb Confederate battle flag that's currently hanging in... University of Houston student show. And we're not going to run a news item just because it's going to And we're not going to run a news item just because we know Hyperallergic or somebody would pick it up, hopefully, and give us lots of traffic because it's just bad art. Right. Okay. Next. Doesn't that feel good, though? Yeah. I feel better. (laughs) We needed to get that off our chest. It's a better Saturday already. It's a better Saturday. What a beautiful day. 
Um, you ran a piece this week. I did. I uh, it was for, it was for last Sunday, and uh, it it I didn't realize it was going to get the traction that it did. It was um, should artists have to talk about their work? And you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot because it seems to me like artists of all levels are really asked, especially by galleries, but certainly also by museums and other institutions, nonprofits everywhere, to come and give an artist talk every time they show their work, and sometimes more than once. It seems a little bit like overkill to some degree. The conversation I was trying to open up wasn't really should an artist be able to talk about their work. I do think ultimately, of course, they should. Mm -hmm. My question really in the dialogue I wanted to open up is how often should they have to? How should they have to? What is the... What's the form? What form does it take? How polished? How professional? There's almost a a, for, a TED Talk form that mm -hmm. it can take. Well, you saw an artist talk at a museum, mm -hmm. and you were grossed out by it. Yeah, it, it felt like um, this is a well-known national artist. Yeah, it almost felt like a self-help guru doing a PBS pitch. special. And I was like, wow, this is really smarmy. And he's a, you know, he's not a terrible artist and he's, um, and I think he's by all accounts a nice guy, but it was gross. And the longer I sat in the audience, the less I bought what he was saying. And I, and whereas I think a lot of people in the audience are so trained to listen to the, the way he was presenting it, they were buying it more and more and more. Rather maybe than listen just, to the actual content. Yeah, maybe I was just a cynic, but I wasn't the only one who felt that way. And there were actually a lot of artists in the, in the audience who, who walked out with that same sort of Ugh. sour look on their face, like, ugh, what did I just hear? And I was thinking, you know, this guy's doing the but If this is how he has to tackle his own work, maybe he's got a kind of speaker anxiety and he's had to come up with a shtick in order to do it. Mm. But... Um, he seemed perfectly, you know, capable and happy to be, you know, stalking around the stage and selling people on this theory that, that didn't, that I didn't buy. Did he have a cheek mic? Oh my gosh. A flesh-toned cheek mic. <laughs> a Silicon Valley. Or the little one on his forehead that comes down out of the hairline, you know? I'm, I hate those. No, I don't think he had it. Oh, I don't remember, actually. This was a, a few, few years ago. Mm. But I, I was, I was just thinking, uh, you know... How often should they have to do it, and what form should it take? And it seems like there's a tremendous amount of pressure on artists nowadays to supply this content and this information. Well, so you're you're objecting to the trained monkey aspect of it, Absolutely. and them having to get up there and do a song and dance and sh soft shoe all over the place. And and there are people who are good at that, and people who are frankly not. And I think what was interesting about this piece, and part of the response you kind of alluded to this, was that. A lot of people thought about it in terms of should artists be able to speak about their work, have yeah. the capacity to speak about their work. Yeah, and I actually am proud of myself for leaving that part of the, the piece a little bit open because I think it got more people talking about it. We had some really smart artists in, in, in DFW who were weighing in on social media, Lauren Woods and some people like that, who were saying, well, of course they sh should be able to talk about their work, and they should. I mean, I think it makes the work better. I think that's what school is for. I think that's what grad school is for. But um, I kind of object to even just an audience's sense of entitlement, that they always get to hear what an artist has to say. See, I, I don't agree with that. I don't think audiences feel entitled. Oh, I think they do these days. It's one thing to be a good performer or to be able to give a good spiel. But to me, speaking or writing is thinking. Uh, to me, an artist has already thought through all of those things in making their work and they, you know. Not necessarily. I think there's a lot of art that's pre or post-verbal or non-verbal. And I think that I know some very, very good artists who have a terrible time talking about their work. And mm -hmm. even though they've been to grad school 
And um, What do you think of the argument that they just better goddamn well get good at it? Not because it's going to be good for their career, but because they need to be able to express what it, they're thinking about. I think that the expectation on artists over the last 10 to 20 years is much higher now for that. It's definitely career and sales oriented for sure. And that's, that's what's bothering me. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of artists get into making art because they're not as comfortable with language and this is how they're choosing to communicate is visually. I always think about famous artists of the past and I'm like, I bet Picasso could have gotten on stage and just given the shit out of an artist talk. You know, there are people who you just, like he feels like the Jeff Koons of his day in a, in a way. Well, I think you and I are also sort of spoiled. We're very language oriented and we probably hang out with a lot of pretty articulate artists <laughs> who can talk the shit out of their art. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> And yeah. we start to take that for granted as well. So, so every once in a while, when I when I meet an artist, young or older, who's struggling a little bit with that, I want to have some sympathy for that, and I want to give them some room, and I want to not... There's an artist... Uh, we saw a show, you and I together, I'm not going to name the artist, we saw a show in Dallas recently, and we both really, really liked it. And apparently this particular artist... Uh, really hates talking about pathologically shy yeah Yeah. what's interesting is i actually think there's some tension between what you call the audience sense of entitlement and this idea that the work has to be mysterious and and we should it shouldn't be explained and it shouldn't be talked about in in plain spoken language don't you think sometimes though an artist can puncture the mystique of their work by talk over talking about it i've seen that happen yeah that's that's when you get into the cruel tough love I, I really don't want to hear what an artist has to say about their work. Absolutely. And also, in the social media conversations, there were plenty of people who were like, I don't go to artist talks anymore because it, it doesn't help me mm. like or, or not like the art. Or I hate the work after I hear an artist talk about it. Well, and I, and I do think there's something to the idea that art has gotten so self-referential and insular and more and more uh, specialized, certainly art coming out of the academy. And by that, I mean referencing other art and not speaking to a general audience of human beings on a human level, speaking to the art world, speaking to other artists. And in that case, you need the artist to unpack what, if forgive me for using the word, what they're thinking about. You have to get, they have to explain it because it sure as hell isn't anything you can grasp well, on they, the surface of it. They might not be able to come to that conclusion on their own. I mean, the best thing to do in that case would probably be to pair them up with somebody else and have a conversation. Mm. You know, as we do in as, our off-road conversation. As we do, and uh, I think that 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 I would rather see that become more of the trend than having an artist stand by themselves in front of an artwork mm-hmm. and try to rehash the way they learn to talk about their work at a grad crit. So you think this is like a TED Talk phenomenon? Yeah, kind of. Do you think it's fueled by TED Talk? No, I think it's fueled by the art schools. Mm. But public speaking is a larger social phenomenon. No, you're right. No, that's true. That's true. It's a trend. There's a way of talking. There's just like there's a way of talking about art. There's a way of talking in public now. Yeah. And people are all having to brand themselves, right? You know? So, As our Confederate flag artist. And I think it's gross to ask an artist to have to brand themselves. It is gross as shit. And that's what's happening. But that's what the marketplace... Are, oh, the galleries are totally complicit. Yeah, they want this. They want their artists to, to be part of this, this package deal. <sighs> and to help sell the work. I mean, that's one of the reasons that artists are... The galleries insist that artists come and talk about the work. And it's to help sell it. Mm-hmm. Before we move on with this podcast, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Crush Pad Productions in Houston, Eric Jarvis and Matt Johnson for the use of his song, Fly Away. Thanks, guys. Well, speaking of selling art, 
our third topic today. Mm-hmm. You you brought this up because you read a piece of news. There's two kind of recent pieces of news. One is that Jeffrey Grove, who has been a curator at the High Museum and the Dallas Museum of Art, has taken a position at Sean Kelly Gallery in New York City. And one is that Randy Kennedy, a New York Times uh, journalist and writer, arts writer, is now like a special projects director at Hauser & Worth. So the idea is like this trend of nonprofit and journalist and curator type people museum people crossing over to the commercial realm and what does this mean and dispositionally are they set up for it is this how many cautionary tales are there so far oh my god so well of course the biggie lately was paul schimmel at hauserworth and lately schimmel who did that beautiful stunning you know universally lauded show of women to open up their new L.A., how does one describe it, campus? It's a mega gallery. It's a mega gallery, but they want it to be more than just a gallery. They want it to be like a place where you go hang out. All they need to do is add a playground, honestly. There's a ch- there's, they have chickens there. Yeah, they need, they, if they could like work childcare in, we would be good to go. They will. But he, he, he did that show, and he's gone now. But there are lots of other examples. There's also the, you know, I, we hadn't talked about this before, or we did in the car, but the crossing over the other way, like Deitch going to... Right, Jeffrey Deitch had a, had a famous gallery, Deitch Projects, and then was hired to be the director of MoCA. And there were, a lot of people were like, ah, and people were interested, I think, when he first got there, and that was a disaster. Mm-hmm. It ended badly. Mm-hmm. It's not a super highway between these two. Well, this is the thing, because I think people always say nowadays that uh, the art world, the nonprofit side, i.e. museums, and the for-profit side, i.e. commercial galleries and auction, auction houses, houses, are just one big mush pot, and it all crosses over. But that's not true. That's that not is simply true. not true. Mm-hmm. People who go into the nonprofit side who are not museum directors are poorly paid. Curators don't make a lot of money. Writers certainly don't make a lot of money. Now, there is, there can't, you can say that there's a bit of a blurring of the lines between maybe some of the mega galleries that are starting to operate a little bit more like museums, although, of course, they're still selling work, and there's no deaccessioning, you know, controversy that will ever go on with them, but... There are examples of huge successes, let us point out. Like, Alan Schwartzman would be a big, somebody who's done spectacularly well on the commercial side, as a private consultant, but Mm -hmm, still, mm -hmm. who was a curator at the New Museum. Yeah. You made the point that there there's a lot more money on the commercial side, obviously, but it's a lot more soul-crushing. So I think that, you know, probably one of the primary reasons that people would move over is for financial security and to finally make some money. You know, it gets, gets tiring to probably be middle-aged and you know that you've got a very low ceiling on your earnings. Mm-hmm. And you get offered this job where suddenly you're going to make five to ten times what you've ever made. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a lot of people might be willing to give it a shot. Yeah. Um, how long they last is, that's always the question. We had an example in Texas of Ted Pillsbury, who, the late Ted Pillsbury, from, from the Pillsbury family, who was famously the director of the Kimball. For years and for years. For years and years. And did a fantastic job And there. was very lauded and, and left finally and went into the commercial side with Gerald Peters, who I don't, does Gerald Peters even have a gallery in Dallas anymore? Uh, No. It's amazing because that was the gallery of Dallas for the longest time. I don't, that's arguable, but well, but it was the biggie. It was the big. It was the moneyed one. It was the big moneyed gallery. That's in absolutely Dallas. true. That's absolutely true. And it became Pillsbury Peters, mm-hmm. and Ted famously came in and spent a ton of money mm-hmm. 
kitting out this space mm-hmm. and putting in expensive crown moldings and stuff. And it didn't last very long. It, it was a disaster. And he crossed back over into, he started to, he went over to the Meadows Museum for a little while. Briefly, and then yeah. he went to an auction house and yeah. then and died, you know, shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, it's a cautionary tale. We're, the, the world is littered with cautionary tales of people trying to cross from one side to the other and not doing it very well. I think you're just asking them to do something that's very out of character for them. And I think it hurts. Yeah. And I don't think that it's one big mushpot art world. No, I don't either. I think people get into the art world for different reasons. What draws them is... So for some people, it's, it's so purely about the art that even just bringing up the subject of money is a little bit distasteful. Yeah, if you got into the art world to make a lot of money and you have anything to do with a 501c3, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> you need to start going to art fairs and work in that scene. Yeah, get into the galleries. Get into the galleries. If you have a sales uh, gene, then be a salesman. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. Yeah, you had the experience on the commercial side. Yeah, almost had a nervous breakdown. I think you wrote something about this once upon a time. <laughs> uh, if y'all are wondering what I'm referencing, uh, we'll put it in uh, on the post on Glass Tower. But Christina wrote a couple of articles when she was running a gallery. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is, back to this topic, actually, there is a commercial art world and there is a commercial art world. And where we are and where many, many people in the country are, even in New York and L.A., is not at that mega gallery level. That's kind of interesting and sexy and flashy, but let's face it, there most galleries are struggling to get by. Most artists are struggling to get by. So go around and look and see what's nearby. I'm saying support your local galleries. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm looking at <laughs> it. it gives me this look like, huh? Um, no, I mean, that's the thing. Is is It's not like, I'm not saying the commercial side is some like pot of gold for, God, no. I mean, most galleries are really struggling. Anyway, that, I guess my... I don't know why I said we didn't to support your local galleries, but you should... But support your local galleries. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't take a lot of money to keep a gallery in business. Well, it depends on their overhead. Yeah, it depends on how much rent they're paying. <laughs> I will say that my stint in the commercial side of things taught me a lot. And it was like getting a whole... It was truly getting a whole new education, a whole new psycho- psychology. That was invaluable, and that helps me be so much more sympathetic to gallerists and to the commercial side of things. My mother had a gallery when I was growing up, so I saw that. I grew up in stuffing those frigging invitation envelopes. I'd say that that you and I at Glasshair are are very sympathetic to that side of things. Oh, yeah. Dealers, it is a tough road to hoe, no doubt about it. Yeah. Of course, I just went to Freeze and saw, you know, the gigantic Gagosian Sean Curran installation. Mm. Wah, wah, wah. Current's good. I haven't seen the installation, so I can't. He's a good painter. No, he's a good painter. He's a good painter. Seriously, man. Okay, as a painter, painter. he knows how to push pigment around on a surface. He's better than that. He knows what to paint as well. Ugh. We're going to have to agree to disagree. All right. On that note, everyone, let us know what you think of John Curran and the Confederate battle flag. Yeah, and whether or not artists should be able to talk about their work and how much they should have to talk about their work. Two different things, actually. Very different things. Very, very different things. And there is so much art out there to go see. If you're in Texas, we have all the listings on our website. So check it out. Go see some art. Go see some art. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.